Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Stebbin Podcast. I'm Scott, and joining me today, as ever, is my co-host, Micah Current. Micah, how are you doing this morning? I'm awake, and I'm with you. Thanks for having me. And I'm awake, and I'm with you, so thanks for being here. <laughs> well, and soon, so, we'll be, soon we'll be in the same state. <laughs> I know. In a couple months, we'll be in the same state. It'll be crazy. Um, so, yeah, let's go ahead, and we've been... Through, so we've been doing this series of kind of breaking down uh, Hillsong Exposed on Discovery Plus. And um, man, this third episode was wild. Like, ah, I, I don't know. I felt like by the time I got to the third episode, it was going to be a little less tragic. And it wasn't. Um, especially dealing with not only the institutional fallacies of Hillsong, but then hearing about the affair of Carl Lentz and kind of some of the cover-ups that Hillsong was doing that we saw in two and, and some of their kind of shady practices. And then we get to episode three and it's just, it just never stops. It just keeps going. Um, so right at the beginning, actually, I would say right at the end of episode two, we heard a young woman tell her story of something that happened to her when she was attending Hillsong College. So episode three really kind of focused on um, the college and kind of not only their promotion of college, but how it like really impacted a lot of young people to attend Hillsong College, thinking it was going to be great. Um, but then you begin to hear some of their stories. Uh, so what were some of your, um, how did you feel when you heard some of the stories of these students who attended Hillsong College and their experiences there? Well, first of all, as a worship leader, I've always, well, before I watched this, was like, man, I should, I want to go to Hillsong College. Like, uh, like Bethel Church, for example, they have a worship school and, you know, I've always wanted to go to that. I've had some friends that have went to that more so for like songwriting and things like that. But with respect to Hillsong, um, it, they made it look really, really cool on the outside. Like almost like those really lame nineties infomercials that you would see at three <laughs> o'clock in the morning. But yeah. if you were super geeked about ministry and super geeked specifically about the arts and ministry, like worship mm -hmm. and sound audio video production things like that like hillsong was the place to be right and like if you're from the states or somewhere else in the world canada mexico or you know even europe and have never been to australia like what an opportunity because hillsong church you know is is founded in australia so um yeah first of all like i just you know as a worship leader would want to go but then hearing some of the stories that some of these people had with their experiences and going whether it was uh problems with losing their luggage or uh yeah that was a nightmare for that girl Good oh girl. yeah you know and they did it just didn't seem like they cared um and then like some of the the contracts that they had to sign and we talked a little about it, a little bit about it in episode two with with uh, carl wentz like mm -hmm. the whole idea of sex before marriage um you know don't even think about coming coming here if you're going to do that or if you're going to be with other you know you know your boyfriend or girlfriend and you're not married you know all these all these weird rules that they weren't the higher-ups within hillsong church weren't willing to follow themselves mm -hmm. um and it just didn't really seem to add up so um before seeing you know those things like yeah i want to go to i would love to have that opportunity and go to school there and learn more about my craft and you know get more experience in worship and production and 
after hearing some of their stories, like, man, probably not. What did you think? Yeah. So yeah. Um, it's, it, it was, it was heartbreaking because I mean, and that's the thing, like when you would hear some of these people's stories, like even some of them, you know, like I think the, the lady you referred to earlier who lost her luggage, like she was going to ball state and she was, you know, doing arts and, and she wanted to find a place that saw dance as a ministry. Cause a lot of churches kind of, are, there's some churches who are like dancing. Oh no, we can't have that in our churches. So Hillsong was like, Hey, we have a dance ministry. You can use your gifts and your talents to serve the Lord. And I think on paper and just talking with people, it's like, Oh yeah, this sounds great. But then not only does she lose her luggage, but then she got a scholarship because her dad was a disabled Vietnam veteran. And like the check was supposed to pay her tuition and she was supposed to get the rest of the money to kind of help with her living expenses. And it was like all that money. Yeah. Wrapped or flew all the way around the world to go to Australia to go to Hillsong. And oh yeah, like they, they weren't willing to help her at all. Are, Are you kidding me? They weren't the one to help her at all. And then she's like basically lost weight because she couldn't eat and everybody. And she said, even her roommates, like they're sharing stuff with her, but even they were struggling to, you know, to afford food to pay for them to survive. And it's like, how do you, how do you as a college have a culture like that where it's just like, and that's what she said. She said it was just like very little empathy, like a lack of empathy, especially when you want people to come to your school. And then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, well, you're here. So now we're going to kind of treat you like, like we own you, like you're, like you're our property. Like, I mean, it's like um, those shirts that always said like property of like Anderson University or something. It was like, like those like sweatshirts. It's like literally they were property of Hillsong. And then, you know, one student was talking about how before she got there, she's very excited, but she was sexually assaulted before she even went to the school. So she was worried because there was a culture there where if you've even had anything remotely on your record, any alcohol abuse, drug abuse, sex before marriage, and that even included assault, that you would be you either be on the red list or the green list. And if you're on the red list, you didn't get as many opportunities as those who were on the green list, which I'm thinking, wait, what? And then even when she was talking about it, this lady who she talked about it said, well, that's okay. You're going to be on the green list. Don't worry. It's in the past. You were forgiven, but yet they didn't acknowledge it that she was assaulted. They acknowledged it like, oh yeah, you, you, you committed a sin, but you are now forgiven because you're repented of that, which I'm like, that whole thing is mind blowing to me that someone could get assaulted at a Christian university and, I, and, and this is not just a Hillsong problem. There's been other things that I have read where this is an issue at other uh, Christian universities where mm-hmm. someone could get sexually assaulted and they go to tell someone and it's like, oh, well, you had sex before marriage. So, you know, you're going to be heavily penalized. You're going to be out the door. And even though she was, even though, especially with this woman's story, even though she was even though she was greenlisted, still they had this record of their most intimate details that they could hold over their head and use them. And then not only that, they couldn't even start college without signing, signing a non-disclosure agreement. Did you, and I'm just like, that's, that's weird. When you went to Anderson, um, did you have to sign any sort of 
like agreement? Do you remember a that? non-disclosure agreement? No. Um, when I was in Anderson, I went to seminary there. You went to undergrad, right? Mm-hmm. So when I went there, they had just built that massive casino in Anderson. Oh, yeah. And so we had to sign some sort of contract saying that we weren't going to drink. We weren't going to do drugs. We weren't going to go to uh, go to the casino and gamble. It was sort of like a covenant with the university. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't remember there ever being any issue or anybody ever going there but or or you know getting in trouble for the things but did you have to sign anything like that when you were I there? mean the only thing I had to sign it was kind of like a covenant but it was basically was you know that I've read I've read the student handbook mm-hmm. and that I would be obedient to the rules of the student handbook so yeah at a Christian university it's going to be things like don't be drinking don't be doing drugs don't be having sex before marriage um you have to make sure you go to chapel like you're like 18 chapels out of the semester or whatnot. Um, you know, don't go gambling. Don't, you know, it's kind of like, you know, don't do these things. Oh, don't plagiarize on your papers. So like, which for me, it's like, okay, well, I'm not planning on doing any of that stuff anyway. Eventually, as I got older, the the one issue I did have is I was living off campus and definitely lived with some roommates that were drinking. And it was one of those things where it's like, even though I'm living there, I'm kind of not necessarily like I, I wasn't necessarily required to say anything or to turn anybody in. But if someone turned them in and I was there, then it's like guilt by association and I could potentially be disciplined or even kicked out of the university for just being around them, which I thought was weird because, mm-hmm. and the only reason why I say that is because I had a roommate who was actually I had a couple roommates who were heavily drinking. And I, in my way, I ministered to him and I wasn't like, Hey, stop drinking. I'm going to turn you in. But, you know, I just was there for them. I listened to them. I talked with them. I, you know, I'd kind of tell them, Hey, maybe, you know, don't be drinking so heavily. Um, but you know, if they decide to go out, you know, I'd be the DD and I would just kind of, you know, just be there. And I think that kind of helped me open the door to be able to talk to them and just be able to help them, you know, with whatever their issues that they were dealing with, that was kind of causing them to drink in the first place. And, and I think that was kind of more of an effective, you know, role of helping them heal and process things for them to not drink anymore. But I felt like if I would have turned them in, then either a, I was going to get them kicked out. And then that was going to be, then I wasn't going to be able to help them or B I turned them in. They may get like a slap on the wrist or a penalty. And then they find out I did it. And then I'm kicked out of the house. And then I have to find a place to live. So it was a very weird dynamic when I, when I first got there, but yeah, as far, but as far as, an NDA of basically saying I can't talk about my experience at Hillsong and I'm not allowed to do that. Or there could be ramifications. Like I, I, I almost find that like, I mean, I have an issue with NDAs period, especially within churches because if churches are supposed to be places of openness and honesty and transparency, then why do we have all this red tape? Why do we have these NDAs that saying, okay, you can come, you can come be part of this school. You can come be part of this church, but you're going to have to sign this waiver. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, going. To, I mean, imagine going to a membership class. You like a church you're attending. You go to a membership class, and they're like, "Oh, by the way, if you're a member now, you're going to have to sign a non-disclosure agreement." Like, like that's weird. Like that's so weird. And I mean, that's like a huge red flag. But yet, we see so many times. Checkbook. Hmm? Checkbook. Hold on. Have to get the checkbook out for my wife. <laughs> but, um, Speaking of red tape. <laughs> no but yeah like that stuff is weird like all of it was weird and then even that like you know as you're going there you're now have to you're paying tuition and then you have now you have to volunteer your time to do stuff at hillsong church or at the college and you know like i think one lady said part of this one person's practicum was cleaning the church like, what, did they have, like, church custodian as a major there at Hillsong? Like, how does cleaning a church exhibit practical? But then it's like they don't get paid, which... Well, well Scott, I, I find it funny, too, that you and I, like, you've wor we've worked in smaller churches, obviously, than Hillsong, no matter what size church you've worked in or I've yeah. worked in. Like, it could be a 1,000 and still be smaller than Hillsong, right? But, like, mm -hmm. you could struggle to find volunteers. And, yeah. like, it seems like, man... How did they get so big if there was such legalistic, uh, such a legalistic culture within that church? Like, how did they get so big and how did they get so many volunteers and how oh, did yeah. their college grow if there was all that red tape? Unless it was more of a cult following like you talked about in other episodes with this. Yeah. And, and I think that's and I think that's kind of when you think about it. And it's just like with any other cult, like uh, on the surface, you get drawn in because things are, look pretty. Things are exciting. Just like, you know. I want to go to Hillsong College because look, I'm watching this like 90s infomercial and it looks like a bunch of kids being wacky and having fun. But hey, it's going to help cement my calling to serve Jesus in whatever ministry that I choose. And then you get there and it's an absolute nightmare. And 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 even when I think about just unpaid volunteers, especially in that aspect, like I know of maybe one college where I know of one college where it's tuition free, but the, but the way you pay for your tuition is you have to work. And I think that's out in Colorado somewhere. So like, and it's, they only select a few people to do it. It's like, you can have a free ride to go to a Christian college, but you're going to have to volunteer your time and do service projects. And it's like, okay, you're not paying tuition, but the fact that you're paying tuition and then you have to volunteer your time, which when I went at Anderson, like anytime I want to do something, if I wanted to referee, if I wanted to do anything, I got paid for it, except mm -hmm. for like my, except when it was a specific practicum class, like in theater, then I didn't get paid to do all that work. But at the same time, it's for a grade and I'm learning how to do set design. I'm learning how to do lighting design. So for me, that wasn't a big issue, but I can just see, and even, but then even outside the, even within that segment of that video, there's that one guy who worked at Hillsong York as like a production person. And he was even spending hours of time and not getting paid for doing, putting on these, you know, basically getting the lights and sound and everything ready for their worship services. And he's not getting paid. And then he, the guy in New York. A, yeah, New York. It even said, hey, I think you guys need to get a, you know, an actual production guy because I'm just getting burned out. Uh, and and they said, oh, well, can't you just like, oh, well, we don't want to pay you. 
can't you just like raise up more volunteers to help out? And he goes, well, the first sentence is a problem. You don't want to pay anybody. You don't want to pay anybody. And yet you have millions, literally millions and billions of dollars running through Hillsong's empire. And yet you don't want to pay your production person. You don't want to pay your custodian. You don't want to pay anybody like that's But then you can have pastors running around and like, Fifty thousand dollar footwear, mm-hmm. like that's crazy. Well, which too, like oh, Scott, like if you remember, like when we were in school, um, there were churches that would pay you like. A, I mean, you remember what it was like to be in college? Be, like we're eating Easy Mac and Pringles and ramen noodles and everything else, and starving oh, yeah. and trying to get our foot wet, our feet wet in ministry. And you know, churches would pay us a hundred dollars or one hundred fifty bucks to come and lead worship, or you know, help with youth on the weekends and like you know, they couldn't pay us a full-time or a part-time salary, but they paid us something. And like, A, that gets us experience and B, that gets our foot in the door for other opportunities. And so like, it just seemed like why in the world would such a big empire like Hillsong not want to really get on board with paying folks to do yeah, that? Absolutely. And this kind of goes into the other thing that they're talking about was, which basically, you know, Hillsong is a religious, I guess, according to tax code, they are religious slash nonprofit institution so they get exemption status and we just see how much they were manipulating that and it seems like anytime when we see a mega church where it shows its financial excessiveness there's always seems to be this conversation that comes up that should churches get their tax exemption revoked should they be taxed so i guess what are your thoughts and opinions on church's tax status and how would you regulate that? And I think, and I mean, I'll, 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 I'll start with, I'll just go ahead and answer this one first while you think about it. Cause it's, you're really fired up. You're really fired up today about this one. Well, here's the thing. Like I would always see like people who are outside of the church that I'm friends with on social media, always talking about taxing the churches, lose their tax exempt status, everything else. And I have to, be the person to say, no, that's a bad idea because a, you know, especially at this time, you know, the average pastor's salary is about $40,000. So it's about as much as a public school teacher, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, depending on where where you're teaching. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on where you are and where you're teaching. Um, And then because you're not part of a school or an institution or anything, you're basically defined as a self, you know, a self-employed employee, which means you're in a different tax bracket, which means sometimes, and I don't know, but sometimes you kind of get taxed more. So especially for pastors, that's why we have these tax breaks to kind of help relieve a lot of the money that you're throwing into taxes that you really don't, need to so Mm -hmm. so i understand so especially if you're a bivocational pastor and you're only getting paid let's say eighteen thousand dollars a year and that's your salary in some ways if you can try to have as much as that eighteen thousand dollars not go into taxes then that would be a benefit for you especially with churches, sometimes churches, you know, they have to get supplies. So the fact that 
you know, getting VBS supplies, that if, especially if you're doing crafts, sometimes if you can save, you know, a couple hundred dollars in taxes by having a tax exempt status, then that's fine. I'm for that. But at the same time, I also understand when people say, well, let's tax churches and let's revoke the tax exempt status. At the same time, I go, well, yeah. When I see the churches like Word of Faith or Joe Osteen's church or like Hillsong or even like Willow Creek, when you start to see that their pastors have like two mansions and their own private jet and and everything else, part of me goes, that's insane. And what's even insane is what's I guess insaner, if that's a word, is that sometimes these pastors live this life of luxury because they're. 18 room mansion is considered a parsonage Mm -hmm. or the, the $80,000 Rolls Royce that they're driving in was a pastor appreciation gift Mm -hmm. or Jesse Duplantis's new airplane was paid for him coming out here and speaking (laughs) at a church out here in Stanton. And as he's talking about his ministry, they're able to raise almost $50,000 that he gets to take. And, and, and I I don't know if he's saying, okay, Hey, I got $50,000 from this church. I'm going to go ahead and give 5,000 back to this church as a tithe. I'm thinking he's taking the full kit and caboodle. Like, and not only that, but then you see so much of these pastors who do make a lot of money based off people's giving tithes and offering. And they go and they talk about, Oh, praise the Lord. Lord is good. Lord's blessing us. And it's like, why is he blessing you with money? And yet the people who sit within your congregation that continue to give you money are struggling with the car payment. Their house is about to be repossessed. Um, All this other stuff. And it's just, so, and, and really, I don't know how you would regulate that, because, again, if you try to regulate that, especially from the government, I mean, even like the guy who was talking about it, like literally they spend years investigating everything. And even though there's red flags and they say, OK, this is a red flag, this is a red flag. It's almost like. We don't know how to stop it because they're so spread out, like they said, like, I think in the video that Hillsong has over like 48 different like nonprofit brands. Some of them is the college, some of it's just churches. So even if you have a church that has like a big scandal and loses a lot of money, they could easily just sell that property and offload the money to other things and then build another church. And it's almost like if you're able to catch some stuff in some of these other brands or properties, all they have to do is funnel the money somewhere else. And it's almost like, it's almost like money laundering in some way. It's like corporate money laundering where it's kind of legal, but kind of shady as well. Like, I don't know. I don't know how you would regulate that. And I I feel like just saying everyone has to pay taxes now and churches don't get that tax exempt status is really going to not affect Hillsong or some of the big guys that's kind of causing some of these financial issues and problems, but it's going to really hurt your small to mid-sized churches who really depend on that tax exempt status. Scott, I didn't know you were going to get this fired up about this today. About, about taxes. Uh (laughs) No, about church, this, this, you know, this specific topic that we're covering. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Um, I remember like specifically with COVID when that happened. Uh, do you remember the PPP loan? Did you guys apply for that at your church? Yes, we did. Okay. So like a lot of churches were applying to get that so that they, because it because we didn't know what was going to happen, right? Oh, yeah. And so like people wanted to make sure the payroll was taken care of. People wanted to make sure that people were covered in case of this emergency. Like if people mm-hmm. didn't come back to church, like just to kind of like cover the situation until we kind of had a better understanding of what was going on. And so, um, but churches struggled to get that because they didn't have like, you know, no offense to anybody, but like smaller churches didn't have that financial person working in their church or doing the books or somebody to help them apply for that loan and get qualified for that loan. And, mm-hmm. you know, was able to, you know, eventually get it. So like it, it, it was a struggle. And then you have like some of these big churches that you're talking about, you know, who have all of this money. And honestly, when that happened, when the rest of us are struggling, they didn't have to worry about it. Right. So mm-hmm. like, um, I just, for example, uh, I Googled where you were, you were on your little rant. Um, like Stephen Furtick is a great example. Elevation Church is one of the biggest churches in, in the United States. Stephen Furtick, as of tw- uh, 2021, is worth $55 million, an estimated net worth. Um, and the article goes on to say that Furtick has donated $750,000 and $100,000 or 100,000 hours of community service to the community of Charlotte. 750 grand is a lot of money, but you know, if you're, <laughs> if you're worth 55 million, I think, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah. And it, but and I think that's the, and I, that's the thing. Like, I don't think that that revenue is going to continue to come in. Yeah. Because of, because the revenue is going to come in. And, and I think that's kind of the issue. I think the problem is, is, I mean, I don't know how much, like, I mean, I don't know how much like Mark Batterson makes uh, mike is gonna look it up but i mean but when you hear about his story you know he tried to do a church plan in chicago it failed he goes to dc tries to do another church plant literally barely had enough to even make a salary and now he has national community church which is kind of a big church out in dc but i felt like he had so much humble beginnings so it's and even like now like i don't see him you know, like, I don't see him preaching like, hey, look at all the money I'm making or anything else. Like he's just kind of very at least he seems very even keeled on the surface from what I'm able to. Assert. Yeah, Plus, he lives in D.C. So, of course, cost of living is always going to be high in D.C. So. Um, the, the Google, uh, the says, Google. Yes. The Google says he's, you know, estimated like a millionaire. He's he's somewhere in between one million and five million. OK, but and. I mean, I think for me, I'm like, holy cow, that's bad. But he lives in D.C. and his church blew up. And I think sometimes, you know, if you have a bunch of money, what do you do with it? You either, hey, we want to treat our employees good, so we're going to give them a pay increase. Or, you know, we send some money to missions. And I'm sure, you know, there's probably a lot where that money goes. But and I mean, I think that's the thing about nonprofit organizations, that if you grow and you get bigger, then you're going to have more money and then you have to figure out, well, what we're going, what are we going to do with the money? So I think a lot of times you kind of have to say, okay, do we entreat our employees? Do we give them a pay raise? Do we do this? Do we do that? Um, and then kind of go from there. And it's like, how do you know what's excessive, what's not? And I think when you think about those people who are 
investigating these churches. You know, they're looking at everything. And if there's, they're not saying, oh, Mark Batterson makes about a million dollars a year. That's a red flag. I don't think they're looking at it. They're probably looking at it. Okay. Where is this money being allocated at? And as we're looking into all this stuff, it's like, okay, if there's any red flags here, then we're well, going to go see and investigate. But I don't we know. Could, I if really we could go back, how you investigate that. If we could go back to episode one of the Hillsong documentary when they mm-hmm. talked about Hillsong worship alone, not the church, yeah. Hillsong worship alone sold fifteen. They they sold, um, I think it was what what was it like a hundred and um, no. 15 million or 150 million records worldwide and they make an estimated 120 million dollars a year in -hmm. revenue in revenue just from hillsong worship yeah not the church worship and so just to piggyback off what you said a little bit about all this money and all this legalistic red flags and the the fact that they're not able to pay their production team that the, the team that makes them look so good and like if you like went on youtube right now for example and you looked you know up any of their hits and how top-notch their videos are for the some of the songs that they've released over the years like that's incredible but that would i would be mad i would last there probably five minutes and leave like you're not going to pay me to do this and you have all this money because you're hillsong church and you just you know and and scott i believe that's just greed and that's that's well, that that's not jesus well, it's greed and it's manipulation because even them like even that one girl who was a volunteer at Hillsong, New York was just like, you know, man, can you believe we get to do this? Like, it's almost like you're part of something bigger than yourself. So of course you're going to volunteer your services. Of course you're going to be all tired and exhausted and burned out and just kind of feel low and empty, but Hey, we're doing this for Jesus. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. There's, (laughs) there's another example of a church here close to where I live and they're a larger church in the community. But they they have a huge property, right? It's right off of Interstate 75. I'm not going to mention them, mention their name. They ha- <laughs> I think but, I know what you're talking about. But they have, but they have they have a, a huge um, following. They have two mansions on the property right next to the church. Um, a couple of years ago, they built a mausoleum on the property. Which, like, is that what the, where they bury people above ground? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's a mausoleum. Um, and it's super nice. Um, and like, I've been to church there one time and that was the last time because it was just su- super weird for me and I just couldn't deal with it. So, yeah. um, just not my thing. Uh, but apparently people have told me that when you go to church there and you're a member, you have to like give access to your bank statements to prove that you're tithing. Oh yeah. Which I, I thought was super odd. But I know a lot of churches, even some mid-sized churches that do that, like they look at your tax information and basically they see how much you make and then they look at how much you tithe. And if it doesn't add up, then you get on church discipline. Yeah, which is. And you get guilted like, oh, hey, how come you're not. You're not tithing 10 percent. You're not giving. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that in itself is wrong on so many levels. Um, but yeah, so, oh goodness, let's, uh, let's just, and, but yeah, yeah and that, I, so like to sum it up, right. The yeah. whole, the whole <laughs> tax non, you know, nonprofit thing. Like I'm, I'm all for the whole nonprofit. If you're doing it for the right reasons, um, you know, and I, I think 
you know, I've never been a lead pastor, Scott, you have, but like, I would love to give folks opportunities, especially kids that are, are, are wanting to get their feet wet within the ministry and just like, hey, if you're going to be a worship leader one day or want to be a full-time worship leader or you're in bivocational where you're getting at least something more than what you're getting, you know, mm-hmm. as a stipend, like give people that opportunity. If I can pay, pay a, a, you know, a guy or a girl to come in $100 a week to come lead worship or $100 a week to come lead my student ministry or children's ministry, then God bless them. It's one thing that I don't have to do. And so it, it's fascinating to me that, that Hillsong has all that money and yet they don't want to, you know, really pour into that. Like it, it, just, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like the corporate greed of it all just does not make sense considering the fact that they have so much money and they, and yeah. they continue to have so much money pouring in. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's just super crazy. Um, so then it, then towards the later half of the, episode it, be, it begins to shift back to frank houston who kind of was the founder of what and eventually would end up becoming hillsong and they begin to talk about his child abuse scandals and not just one even though they focused on one that kind of blew the thing wide open but then that more victims came out and said that they were you know sexually abused molested by uh by frank houston um, and even interesting enough that when all this allegations came out, especially the, the kind of like the main person that he was abusing came out anonymously and just kind of said, Hey, here's what's going on. But then eventually ended up stopped being anonymous and came out and revealed out his identity because he was tired of the church's cover-ups and how they were mismanaging, um, the victims of the church. So what are your thoughts and feelings about the abuse from Hillsong and what patterns have you seen from other churches who conduct themselves in a similar situation? I think it just depends on how they handle it. Right. I mean, I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it's wrong, 100% wrong, but Scott, like you, you, you and I know, or you and I both know that one of two things happen when scandals happen, either, they could they they cover it up and ignore it, and they continue to cover it up and ignore it and act like it never happened just because it's going to taint their name or taint who they are or taint their brand, or they reveal it and it just blows up. The church blows up. the 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 staff blows up. It's just it it, it it's a really ugly, ugly, ugly thing. And um, I think in the case of Hillsong, they wanted to continue to cover it up as long as they could and continue to ignore it and hope that it would just go away. Um, and we talked a little bit about it in episode two of this, this series, but like Carl Lentz ended up being the scapegoat to really cover up or what they thought or portrayed what was going to cover up what was going on at large at Hillsong. Yes, mm-hmm. Carl cheated on his wife and yes, Carl didn't make the best decisions, but they figured that Hillsong was, a, in my opinion, they figured that Hillsong was a large enough situation of a church that if they went and made this whole publicity out of Carl, that the stuff that was happening in Australia would just go away and go under the rug. Eventually that stuff's going to catch up with you. Yeah. Um, and I think that in this case, you know, you know, we haven't talked about the ending of the, the third episode yet, but yeah, I think it all caught up to them and it, it just goes one of two ways, right? Like they want to either just continue to brush it under the rug 
and act like it never happened or, you know, and, and it's like business as usual, or they, they, they let people know and it just blows up in their face. So, mm-hmm. and, and for, for a large church like Hillsong or a large church, like, you know, we've named others on this show, um, Elevation, Hillsong, Bethel, whatever that, that stuff tends to like have a ripple effect all the way down in larger settings. So, and it can be detrimental and I can see why they want to cover it up. Not that I'm saying that's right. I'm just saying, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's so, it's so insane because I don't know, like it, I, when, anytime when I think of abuse or any type of scandal in the church, you know, the knee jerk reaction is to cover it up. Usually it's recovering up. And then of course the person who was the perpetrator, you know, they take a, they don't get fired. They take a leave of absence and they take a leave of absence for six months and kind of go through like a healing thing while the board kind of investigates further and kind of keeps everything on the DL. So the congregation doesn't really know. They just think, Oh, our pastors burned out. And then eventually it's like, okay, our pastors, sometimes they bring them back up and this person's now leading the church again, or they say, okay, you know, did a healing retreat. He's just completely burnt out. So he's going to resign. And yet no one really knows exactly what happened. And that was the thing that I thought was so fascinating is that, and again, and that's the thing, they didn't really say it in this episode, but they always had that like little like scrolling timeline thing where you could kind of piece. But yeah, right around when Carl Lentz's scandal kind of broke out and um, that was right around the time when Brian Houston was sitting before the Judicial Council on Child Abuse mm-hmm. and had to ask questions about if he knew about his father's history of abuse and everything. and. And that was interesting. And that was interesting too, just kind of his comments about that. Um, and then of course, you know, they said that they found out that he did cover stuff up, that he did not go to the police with it, which I guess in Australia, if you knew something bad happened and you don't go to the police with it, even if you knew about it, then that's a crime. That's a crime. And it's like, wow. And then somehow they're able to kind of, so then there's more hearings, more stuff, but you, you look at that and you go, they're just trying to cover everything up and the victims are just getting left in the dust. And then it's, it was just so wild that you're looking at all this documentation that they're pulling out and all this stuff. It's like people knew what was happening and they basically said, okay, well, we're going to basically cover it up. Frank's not going to be preaching anymore. We're going to work on his restoration thing. We're going to have him seek counsel. It said he's going to, we're going to, we're going to offer counseling to him if necessary, like molesting children. You don't think that you need counseling for that. Mm. You don't think you need help for that. And then not only that, you see Brian go, Oh yeah, my father never preached from the pulpit again. And then they show, then they show. And then they show him preaching. And then they not, yeah, they, there's a tape of him preaching. And then you even hear him saying like, oh, look, here's these boys. And, oh, you're a cute boy with your curly hair. And I'm sitting there like getting goosebumps. I'm like cringing like, oh, my goodness. This is awful. Mm-hmm. This is so awful. And 
you know, I was, I, if there's, if you guys, there's a book that I've read about, I think it was last year, I read a book called the church called Tove, where it was kind of written in the midst of the Willow Creek scandal with Bill Hybels and Elman, all that started to break through. And it was like people who attended that church, um, who kind of knew people who were close. Some of those women close to the women who were victims of Bill and they began to search and like kind of look at like, you know, how do you breed a healthy church culture? And going back to how people respond to scandal, and you said, you know, either A, you hide it, or B, you kind of acknowledge it and it becomes a big deal and it blows up and it gets messy. But then there's also I but I but reading and reading books book, they said, well, there's even like an option C too of that, where if you are transparent and you do constant communication with the church and saying, hey, guys. We got word that something happened in our church. We are going to investigate it. We're going to make sure we're going to keep you up to date and let you know what happened. One church did that. It was a I can't remember which church. And literally at the end, after a six month process the pastor kind of comes back to the congregation go hey we talked to people we investigated here's what we were able to find out you know we got you know we got the police involved and basically apologized and said guys i'm really sorry this happened on our watch we're going to do better to make sure this doesn't happen again and here are the steps and the rules that we're going to do to make sure that this stuff doesn't happen again and i think if you approach it where everybody's in the loop because even the times that are things get blown up it's usually times where you find out about the affair or the scandal or whatever and then you find out later that it was actually covered up for years and now it's just finally coming out and i think a big example would be just recently that church out in indiana where the guy said he had a basically he said oh yeah i had an affair and yet the victim stood up in the church and goes no you were sexually assaulting me and abusing me since i was 16 years old and I would say that's not an affair. <laughs> that is not an affair. And even when they talked about Frank's, they said, well, yeah, we mentioned about Frank's Frank's uh, child abuse. And they said, and the one lady goes, no, I was there when they mentioned it. They said that Frank had a moral failing. And there's even a lady goes, yeah, having an affair, lying. Those are moral failings. Molesting children, no, that is a crime. That is not a moral failing. That is a crime. Well, and honestly, like those crime. are serious, serious, serious accusations. And you better be 100% sure that that's what you mean when you criticize somebody. Because you, Scott, as well as I know, that that will destroy somebody's career. That will oh, yeah. destroy somebody's family and reputation and life. And uh, that's stuff that they have to deal with for the rest of their lives. So you better be 100% sure that that's what's happening. And I think, yeah, and I think that's when it's... And that's why I think it's wise to just be able to say, okay, have wise leaders to not only say, hey, let's investigating it. But then when you find out, you know, even if you find out from all the pieces that, yeah, this is looking pretty dicey to basically say, yeah, you know, it's too shady. There's too much, there's too much red tape. There's too many red flags here that really show that this is wrong. And even like myself, like, I don't know, like, I feel like I'm in a weird, and I'm in a weird place now where I always get to the point where I always have to double check myself. Like 
like even one time, like I would be taking kids home from like if we had a youth event and I would have to drive kids back. And sometimes if a parent says, hey, Pastor Scott, can you drive my daughter back because we're going to be out doing whatever? I say, yeah, sure. And then I go and I drive their daughter back home, drop her off. She goes into her house. I leave. It's fine. But then I'm thinking, you know, she was the only person in my car. Mm -hmm. And there's a part of me that doesn't think about that stuff until someone mentions it to me. And I go, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. Well, because I've always been, I mean, but, but then there's other times where, but there's other times too, where I think it gets to a, almost an absurd amount where, I mean, I'll, I'll just tell the story real quick, but there was a time where we were trying to get a visitation team off the ground at the church I was pastoring at, and we couldn't get it off the ground because people kept saying, well, what if a, a man from the church and a woman from the church were driving to go visit somebody and they were, and someone happened to see these two people as they're driving in their car driving to go visit a elderly person and someone basically spread a rumor that these people were having an affair. And I would ask the question, well, who are these people? Who are these people who are spying on you? And plus, I mean, if you're so worried about something sinister happening while you're trying to go and visit an elderly person to talk with them, then I think there's bigger issues that we need to address than, you know, whether people are going to be bringing up false accusations, but then at the same time, but it it was okay for me as a male pastor to go visit an elderly woman in her house by herself and talk to her. That was fine, but it wasn't another person from the church and another woman from the church driving to go visit somebody. And it's like, well, technically if I'm visiting a woman at a church and I'm the pastor, maybe I should have someone else with me and an elder with me to go visit somebody. Maybe I should have a female elder come visit or a female leader come with me to go visit somebody. But then that would be, we'd have to take separate vehicles because someone's going to be paparazzi is going to jump out of the bushes and take pictures of me. Well, like, I don't know. Like I'm, I feel I, like <laughs> I've oh, like, you know, I think it's one thing if you feel comfortable doing that. I've had some, I've had some situations in my life where, um, you know, I've not shared that on this podcast, but we've had, and my family uh, had a pastor who, who, you know, had a falling out um, from ministry and was a youth pastor and had an affair uh, while he was married, but, but what was a youth pastor who was married, who had an affair with an underage student. Oh, and so that really bothers me, obviously, mm-hmm. because I've lived through that. Yeah. I also had a band director in high school who had an affair with an underage student. So all those things are trigger points for me. Mm. And so I've always been super, 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 I can't say super enough careful in those situations to cover uh, myself to the umpth degree Yeah. Um, in situations like that. And like, Scott, if you feel comfortable riding in a car with the opposite sex, going to do something like that, that's great. I, I don't have mm-hmm. an issue with that. If that person feels comfortable and can control themselves and cover their, you know, but for me, never, I would never. And like, I remember like uh, being in seminary, I had to write like a sort of like a, I don't know, like a, we did a project on this, right? Ethics. It was, I was in mm-hmm. an ethics class. Oh, we yeah. did a project mm-hmm. on like, this is how um, you would protect yourself, your marriage, 
yourself as a pastor, you know, windows in the doors, never be left alone with the opposite sex. Even after hours, these are the hours that you work. These are the hours that you'd be in the office. There's always going to be somebody there. If you're in the, you know, you have a window in your office, you have the door cracked. If you're in the, in a room with the opposite sex, um, you always with staff specifically, we would ride in groups of three. So like, you know, even if there was another woman in the car, there would be two women in the car or another man and another woman, Mm -hmm. you know, all those things to cover ourselves. So like, you would never put yourself intentionally in that situation. Yeah. And even in, in and I wouldn't say necessarily I'm comfortable with that. Right. Say, but I would say that if it was a situation where it happened, where somehow the person, the parent who's supposed to pick up their daughter, didn't show up, they got held up at work or whatever the case may be. Can you drive them? And I have no other way of contacting anybody who could come out at like 11 o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night or even nine o'clock or whatever time it is to take their, to go take the daughter home. It's like, okay, yeah, I could take her home, but guess what? This person's sitting in the back seat. They're not sitting in the front seat with me. And, you know, mm-hmm. I try to make sure as much as possible, try to do as many safeguards as possible to make sure there's no, and not necessarily that I'm going to do anything or this person's going to do anything, but make sure that if it does get brought up, I can at least say, Here's my thought process. Here's what I was thinking. This is what happened. Here's the timeline. Here's the text and the phone conversations we had with the parent. I decided that was going to be the best way I could do it. And here's how I proceeded in being able to do that. That was the best thing I could do in that situation. And again, nothing, nothing against that. I, I, I just have had -hmm. those moments in my life and those trigger things where I don't want to ever put, it's almost out of paranoia because of, yeah other situations that have happened in my life. And, and again, I, and I also get that because again, when it does happen, even if it's not affecting you or somebody, you know, that's close to you, but it's somebody that, you know, or somebody that had something happened in your church and it kind of affects you. And it's like, okay, well now I'm in leadership and I've seen how this has caused a really has impacted me in a very powerful way that I'm not going to, even remotely do this. I'm going to make sure I've have as many safeguards or many things as possible. Um, but yeah, and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. So we see all this stuff, all this stuff. And again, the thing that I think I pulled away from this was kind of a quote at the very beginning is that speaking out at Hillsong has its consequences. Yes. And I'm just like, wow speaking out at Hillsong has its consequences. And I think in some paradoxical way, we have heard so many stories of people speaking out and things being refuted, things being covered up, things being neglected. But then at the end of the episode, they start talking about Brian and how, you know, he's not here to protect the church. He's here to protect the empire. You know, he's 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 out there to protect himself. And then they ask the question, do you think Brian will ever resign with all these allegations and stuff going on? And from all the interviewees, they said, no, he would never resign. No, he'll never resign. And then, of course, at the end of that documentary, there was a little blurb saying as of. Fall of 2021, Brian Houston ended up resigning from Hillsong due to the ongoing abuse mismanagement. Um, And even from that. We have seen some Hillsong churches. I I think Hillsong Dallas is one of them 
where they basically said we're no longer going to associate with Hillsong and they basically kind of cut themselves off from the Hillsong brand. Mm-hmm. And they said, we're, 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 we're detaching ourselves from the mothership. We're no longer going to be associated with Hillsong. Um, and, and that, so looking forward, what do you think is next for Hillsong as they move away from the Houston shadow? Honestly, like I, out of curiosity, I, I don't watch their stuff very often. Um, but they, if you watch like their live streams are on Saturday night here in the States because they're a day ahead of us in Australia, but they, it's almost like they've just, it's like business as usual. Um, they've, they continue to have services. They continue to like people still attend church there. Like it still seems like attendance wise from a video perspective, somebody who's watching a live stream, those like, it's like, they've not missed a beat and they've not really said they didn't address it and just kept moving forward. Um, Mm -hmm. and I honestly, Scott, like answering your question, you know, what choice do they have? They're not just going to shut down as a church because they're such a big thing, a big mm-hmm. machine, such a global empire that like, I think even if your lead pastor had a fall from grace and walked away from ministry or resigned, yeah, that thing is just too big of a machine to, to shut it all down. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. It's, what do you think? Yeah, there was something, there's something in this episode that was interesting because they said, even if Hillsong got shut down, because of how they have branched themselves off and how they have all these different properties, you know, if they shut down from Hillsong, they definitely will still operate, but they'll operate under a different name. Mm-hmm. And there's a part of me that's skeptical that, yeah, Brian has resigned, but is he still on the payroll? Right. Is he, he, even though, even though officially from the news media, from what's in the papers, but if you really looked at the numbers, if you really followed the paper trail, because he is, you know, a founding pastor, is he still getting, making bank? And that was the thing, like, even with Bill Hybels, when he resigned, when he retired, and they had a co-pastor thing that they're doing, a man and a woman who are going to be doing the stuff at um, at Willow Creek. He still had the title of founding pastor. And there's a part of me that was thinking, okay, even though he's retired, is he still making bank? Because he has a title of founding pastor, and mm-hmm. he's still going to be there at Willow Creek. And even, even with Willow Creek, when all that stuff happened with Bill Hybels um, and reading kind of the uh, Chicago's the Chicago newspapers article on it, there is a financial analyst saying, well, with a church that big, even with a scandal, it's not going to affect it. Which is kind of sad, which is kind of sad. It's not going to affect it too much, but even then, like somehow I got, I got signed up to be part of like Willow Creek every year would always have like a leadership council that they would always do where they'd have speakers come in. It was like a leadership conference. Mm Mm-hmm. After the whole Bill Hybels thing broke, I have not been receiving those emails. It's almost like they, does that leadership stuff, does conference does not exist anymore. And I want to know if part of it has to do with, you know, I want to know if part of it has to do with uh, just a financial thing. You know, you can't really put on a big thing. And plus, maybe if you do it, how many people are going to actually 
outside of Willow Creek are actually going to show up when you have a blemish on your record, a blemish on your reputation. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what's next. Like, I think those who have kind of split away from the Hillsong brand, I think that's, that's always a risky move because then that means you're not getting the, you're not, you're no longer getting milk from the cow anymore. You know, do you remember, do do you remember the, we didn't really talk about it in any of these episodes, but do you remember the, the couple that were pastors in like Nepal or wherever it was? um, Oh yeah. It was in Ukraine. Yeah. They, they decided that they, they, they talked, they spoke out and um, I wonder what happened to them. Yeah, did, did they was, ever say what happened to them at the end? I think they I think they just have a different church now, but that was the but the big thing that bothered them was not only the well, you know, because they spoke out against Carl, like, oh hey, he's here drinking and doing stuff that's not pastoral. But then there'd be times where they would have speakers come to Hillsong, Ukraine, and they were expecting them to pay these speakers like fifteen thousand dollars and also pay for their five-star hotels and their, you know, their Michelin five-star meals. And they say the average salary of an average hardworking Ukrainian is like $300 a month. And you're expecting a church, impoverished church in an impoverished country to rake out that much money. And then the response that they get from Brian, like verbally is like, well, you know, God can do it. It's almost as like, it was almost like a kind of a, using the Lord's name as a guilt trip for them saying, well, you're not being good pastors or a good church because you're not willing to come up with the money to pay these speakers and put them in accommodating lodging. Right. <laughs> so I think, so I think they, they, I think they split off a long time ago and said, nope, we're done. And they probably started their own church, mm-hmm. but yeah, but all these other churches, and I know even like listening to, um, you know, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, when a lot of those churches split away from Mars Hill and kind of did their own thing, you know, some of them were able to survive and were some able to grow under a different name, but then there was other churches that didn't survive. They just kind of crumbled. But I mean, that was different because once all that stuff with Mark happened, you know, the elder board says, no, let's just shut everything down. And that's what they did. They just kind of shut the whole Mars Hill experience completely down. Mm-hmm. And basically all these other like satellite churches had to figure out, you know, were they just going to shut down and find other places or were they going to try to, you know, do whatever, especially those who had uh, still had like leases and mortgages on their buildings. <laughs> what are we going to do? We can't pay our mortgage now. What are we going to do? So it's just wild. It's just, I don't know. Anytime. I don't know. I feel like anytime when you see, a church, whether it's a small church or a mega church that goes through this, it just breaks your heart mm-hmm. of how much mismanagement and neglect and abuse happens. But at the same time, I think what's more disheartening is that that's becoming more of the norm, more of the norm now. I um, mean, even with all the SBC stuff that's coming out, you keep seeing more investigations and you're finding out how many abuses happen in these SBC churches and how much the the SBC corporate was covering all these stuff up and just moving these passes around just to kind of cover up their abuse. And then it's like, well, you're just moving an abuser from one place to another to abuse different people. Yeah. And you're not fixing the problem. And it's just, 
it's just wild. And I just don't, it, it breaks my heart. And it's one of the things too, where it's like, you know, if you are, if you're, if you're proclaiming to be a Christian, if you're proclaiming to be a pastor, you proclaim that you're following the rules and teachings of the Bible. And yet you do things that are unbiblical, unchristlike, then it's, it doesn't necessarily, I mean, it definitely affects you as a leader within your own congregation, but it affects the whole Christian movement worldwide. And sometimes it gets exhausting me trying to defend Christianity, defend the church when here's another scandal, here's another horrible thing that happened. And especially when you find people who have been victims of that and you're talking with them and it's like, I don't know what else I can say for you say to yeah. you, like, I, I say, sorry, but I feel like that's not enough. And I really don't have the words to say, but yeah, I mean, I'm mad too. I'm frustrated as you are. It's not supposed to be like this. And I really don't know why it's going in this direction. Mm -hmm. uh, is that what you kind of learned from this documentary? Like watching it? Like, I think what my biggest takeaway, takeaway was like, like, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what church you are. It doesn't matter what church you work at. There's going to be problems everywhere. And like I've, I've told, I've been told that I've worked in larger churches. The bigger the dogs, the the larger the fleas. Um, and I've had friends that have worked in larger situations too, where it's like, man, it, there was a lot of things that never ever reached the surface that probably should have, and they just kind of set stood by and you know let that happen and not saying that that was right, wrong, or indifferent because that wasn't, I wasn't there. Right. And I wasn't involved yeah. in that and I don't know the details and I can't place the blame or yeah, um, get that ball rolling. But like, I think that was my biggest takeaway. It was like, I don't care if you're Hillsong and you're huge. And I don't care if you're Scott Stedman church of the cross, a church of, you know, a hundred people down the street, like every church is going to have its problems, but we have to do what's best to, advance the kingdom of God without um, without tarnishing our legacy as people who serve in pastoral roles. Not only that, but like tarnish our relationship with Jesus and leading others to Jesus. Like I think, and some would argue too, Scott, if you, if I wanted to expand on this really quick, but like um, some would say that like, the bigger that you get, the more money that you get, the more advanced that you get with technology and live streaming and video and lighting and sound and media, like it just gets to your head. It's like becoming a rock star, right? Um, in a sense, uh, you mm -hmm. talked about the, the expensive clothes and things that they wore and um, the different, uh, you know, the different ways that they handled their ministry and the ways that they, they approached ministry was... Mm -hmm a very rock star style life. And if you were, yeah. you know, if you were to watch a documentary on, I don't know, talk about the Rolling Stones, you know, mm -hmm. like the way that those guys have partied over the years and done drugs. And it, it's just, it's, it's just crazy. Like, yeah, you, Scott, you may go out and do cocaine one time and die. These yeah. people, these, these people have done cocaine and drank for years and they're still alive. And it's just, mind-blowing so all that to say <laughs> it's just you know what i mean like it's just you know i'm one of those people that are that tend to be they 
I err more side on the caution, side of caution because I don't want to ever put myself in a place to mess that up, right? Whereas some people get to that point and they don't care because they don't think they're ever going to be caught because like one of the ladies said in the documentary, they feel like they're untouchable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it goes back as again, like I'm kind of, you know, working on my doctorate for doing transformative leadership and, you know, I'm reading right now a book by uh, Walter Wright focusing on relational leadership. And one of the things that he always talks about is how theology shapes behavior and behavior always shapes character. And I think kind of hitting on some Henry Nowen here, I mean, I think when you get to that rock star status, it's very easy to shift focus you know when your focus is jesus and your identity is secured in jesus christ and everything you are doing flows from that foundational point then at the beginning everything is kingdom centric everything is kingdom sound you're doing great things and then you start to see the fruits of of that and then when you start to see kind of the numbers increase, the finances increase, the opportunities increase. Um, then it's like, okay, now this humble beginnings, I now become a big rock star. Now I now have a book deal. I now have, uh, my own, my own podcast that has like millions of listeners, not saying that Scott Stemmon podcast has that, but if you want to listen, have- but if you want to listen to it, but if you want to listen to it, please like share and subscribe. <laughs> but- Cheap, cheap, cheap and share with your friends but yeah so it's it's stuff like that where once you start getting too big you almost have to have some sense of accountability and i think that's kind of where i think a lot of these bigger churches seem to go off the rails because like well hey if pastor scott is literally single-handedly his ministry here has been blowing things up then, you know, it's almost like I'm the golden child. I'm the golden boy. So why would we put checks and balances on Scott when everything he touches turns to gold? Mm-hmm. And then very quickly, that's the thing about gold. There's a weight with gold and eventually it gets too heavy. And then it all comes crashing down and it leaves devastation. So I think that's kind of what we see is that there's no checks and balances. There's no accountability. And more importantly, the leaders are too focused on branding and too focused on how they do things in the church and kind of their own reputation and their own well-being that they forget that, you know, it all has to start with your security in Christ and that you just can't say the name of Jesus and yet live like, like the pagans do live like the millionaires do live like, you know, he doesn't exist. Like that's kind of, that kind of runs cross culture to the cross of Christ and everything that he stood for. So, so yeah. So yeah, this documentary was heartbreaking. If you have not watched it yet, I would recommend you do uh, because I think it's something that's good. I think there's a lot of not just, you know, crapping on Hillsong, even though they're kind of the the main focus of everything, but even just looking at 
church dynamics in general and just kind of understanding, you know, hey, this is kind of the dynamics of my church. Maybe there might be some things we need to change because things may be healthy now, but very clearly some things could happen. And even sometimes you might even see some red flags at the Hillsong documentary and you're going, these are the same red flags in my church. Mm-hmm. And maybe I need to start thinking about going somewhere else, or maybe I need to speak up. Cause that's the thing, even though people said, well, speaking up has consequences. Well, yeah, it had a lot of negative consequences for him, but as, but since enough people were speaking out and eventually got attention of all these different people to really say, okay, we're now advocating for you. We're now going to expose this darkness and you know, and kind of allow those, the Kings to kind of fall off their walls, you know, Humpty Dumpty. Boom. <laughs> I don't know. Again. <laughs> oh, my coffee's wearing out guys, but <laughs> so guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. If you're not following us, please follow us. Please leave us a five-star comment and review. That's going to help other people find like-minded content. And I hope you guys have a great weekend and we'll be back with another episode. Take care.